Go to Genesis 1. Now, what did we talk about last week? Um, Not in Sunday school. I'm talking about in Revive. What did I talk about? In the beginning, his thoughts and our thoughts are separate. In the beginning, we looked at, we looked at those words. In the beginning, and we, what did that tell us about God? That he was outside of what? He's outside time. He's outside time. We, have, we got this, in, in as short a time as we had, we got this picture of God as, as big. Okay? But then we saw that word created, right? And what it, what it showed us is, and hopefully what it showed us about ourselves, is that there is one creator, and his, and his name is God. Okay? And we are what? We are created, so we are, we are the creation. Now, immediately what that's got to do for us is that's got to go, I, I, at least for me it was, it was like, okay, why? Anybody? Anybody? Like, you, you, you get this idea, and it's a right idea of God as creator uh, and us as creation, but then you kind of have this question, and, and it's, look, everybody asks it, and it looks in different ways to different people, but everybody at some point has this question, what am I doing here? Why was I created? And many of us, that, that happens more than once. That's not a question that just occurs one time, but it's one that, uh, that continues, right? And so we're, we're going to tackle that in, in pieces tonight, okay? We're, we're going we're gonna to look at it. And I, what I want to do is I want to show you, uh, I, I pray that what, what you see tonight uh, is that maybe what you thought is way smaller than what it is. And some of you may go, that's good, because I didn't even have an answer yet, uh, and I pray that, that tonight we fill in that blank, okay? We've got, we've got to know, right? Because how easy would it be to get to your destination if you had no destination? Right? Yeah, no direction, you know? So it's, it's like, if we, if we read the words in this book, and we understand kind of what's supposed to be there along the way, but we don't know where we're going, why we're even here, it's like, this loses power, doesn't it? Right? I mean, all the mandates of Jesus lose power when it's like, we ask the question, what for? Right? So I want you to look at something. In that same verse that we looked at in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. Other than John 3.16, this is probably one of the most well-known pieces of Scripture um, and, and it's quoted often, but there is something that I believe that we've missed. Okay? This messed me up when I saw this. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now stop. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What do you know about God? Tell me about his character. Not from this verse, but tell me about him. We just said he's, he's outside of time. He's creator. He's huge, right? What else do we know about him? What do we know about his nature? That's just a few things. A f- just a few of the unlimited God. What do we know about him? He's giving. Good. What? Patient. Caring. Purposeful. Very good. What else? Is he creative? Is he brilliant? He's jealous. Is he perfect? Slightly? Agreed? Yeah? Okay, so you have, a, you have an okay picture here. I mean, we could go forever, right? He, he is uncreated. I mean, we, we, could, we could go forever. Now, if I were to tell you, if the only thing I were to tell you were those things about God, and then I were to tell you, and this is what that God did. He created the heavens of the earth. How would you describe the heavens of the earth? Not, don't go further. Just answer the question. If I, if I, told, you, uh, if I told you all about Picasso, and then I said, and, and guess what? 
This guy with all this talent, all this ability, all, you know, this creative genius, and he painted the most magnificent, he, he created this portrait. What would you expect from that portrait? Yeah, this, this unbelievable piece, right? It would be, it would be a huge expectation. Now, knowing what we know about God, we know this in verse one, he created the heavens and the earth. What do you, what, describe it? Perfect. Beautiful. What else? Joyful. What else? Come on. Creative, right? This, we just said he's brilliant. He's creative. What else? Yeah. Grand. Anything else? One more. Holy. Read verse 2. Why was darkness void, black, dull? Why was that not on your list? Maybe. Maybe. Would, would you have put on the list that God is incomplete? Or would you say that everything he does is, what did we say? It was perfect, right? Right? And then we read this description in verse 2. We, we, read, we read verse 1, that God created. And then we read in verse 2, and it was dark, and what does it say? The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now, here's what a lot of people will say, and maybe what you've subscribed to. Again, I hope that some of these things challenge you today. Most people would say it's an incomplete work. Most people would, would look at that and go, well, he just started. Right? What, what else in here that he does is incomplete? Where else do you see that in his nature? Nowhere. What does it say about you? That the old is gone and what has come? Not part of it. All of it, right? You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? We don't. We read past that and we go, oh, incomplete work, right? But nowhere else do we see this about God. Maybe, maybe there is more to this story than we've ever examined. Did you ever think maybe I'm, maybe there's a chapter here missing? Not missing from the word that it's an incomplete word, but maybe I haven't read all of this to know what I should know when I read those two sentences. So let's just... Stop and let's examine it. All right? Okay? You can, if, 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 we, if you come out of this, here's the deal. We got to just set, the, set this straight. If we come out of this and completely disagree, that's okay. I, I am not going to hate you if you don't agree with me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm teaching you what, what, I've, what the Lord has shown me in experience, and it, it's got to be true to you. I won't, that's why I got to ask you to constantly be saying, Lord, show me truth. Because what I believe in, in that happens is, is I believe that as truth comes out of my mouth, that the, the Spirit of the Lord will grab it and make it true to you, okay? And we don't have to always agree. So that's okay. Just want, just want to know. I just want you to know. If you have a question that you're like, oh, I don't see it, that's not bad. Let's walk in it. Iron sharpens iron, okay? Cool. So let's, let's check out maybe what we haven't seen. Go to Isaiah 45. What do we know? What do we know? Well, let's see here. I don't know if I want to ask you that. 
Let's read about a little bit about what Isaiah says about this creation. 45, start in 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. So what, what, we, what we see there is, is further evidence of what we just said, that the Lord doesn't create bad things. The, the Lord doesn't create the wasteland, right? Agreed? I mean, that's what, that's what he says here. I didn't, I didn't create void and formlessness. I am the God of plenty and full and, and perfection. You see this. So now go to uh, uh, Ezekiel, chapter 28. And we're going to start our drawing here. We've got one character in this whole thing. Yeah. Now, how many of you have heard the name Lucifer? We, we call him um, Satan. Uh, scripture refers to him many, many times as, as Lucifer. Um, in Ezekiel 28, we're going to read about him. And this is very important that we understand this transaction that, that occurred in heaven. And I think we're going to begin to understand what we're actually looking at in verse 2. Okay? Again, this is 28, verse 11. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Okay, you ready for this? Listen to this. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond. The barrel, the oink, I don't know how to say it, onks, what? Onyx and the jasper, uh, the lapis, the lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub. Now, who do we immediately know in this, in this text that we're talking about? We're going to know further in just a minute, but who are we talking about? You were the anointed cherub. What was, what was Satan, Lucifer, originally? Who was he? He was an angel. He was, and lots of evidence in Scripture says that he was not, not just an angel, but he was an angel uh, who, who worshipped the Lord. He was an angel uh, with, with song. And his beauty, it says here, I mean, it just describes his beauty. In verse 14 it says, You were the anointed cherub uh, who, who covers and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Now watch this. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the 
What does your version say? I cast you to the what? The earth. That word right there, earth, mine says ground. The, the word right there is E-R-E-T-S. Obviously, it's where we get our English word, earth, right? What happens in just this, in, in just this piece, and you can go, you can go on and read, um, but he says, I cast you to the ground, I put you before kings that, that you, they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. Um, what, what, do we, what happens? This is, a, this is a very, very accurate description. What happens in heaven? What does it say? What did Lucifer do? He sinned by doing what? Yeah. Yeah. He became high and lifted up in his own eyes. What did we talk about last week? Who is, who is the only one that's on the throne? God is on the throne. None else belong on the throne. In heaven, Satan said that I will take position as God. He, he, didn't, he didn't say that. We don't see that here. But what he did was he saw his own beauty as surpassing that of the Lord. And what does it say? And you sinned. Satan beheld himself as higher than the only one that is on high. Do you see this? This is important. And what occurs here is we see, we see sin, okay? And the cause of that sin, what happened to Adam and Eve? They got kicked out of the garden. What happened, to, what happened here to Lucifer? He got cast to the E-R-E-T-S. Now, you tell me. Verse 2, does it better describe the God you know or does it better describe your adversary, Lucifer? does doesn't it if you go on this is not the only passage ezekiel's not the only passage you can read about uh this in isaiah chapter 14 i'm trying i'm going to honor your time tonight uh, but if you want to continue uh look at isaiah chapter 14 um and you you will see further commentary on this on this fall uh, of satan but it says that he's cast to the ground and we read here in verse 2 that the that the earth was dark and form and without void or, you got it. I'm not going to try to re- redo that. What does this set up? We have God. And now we have Satan, or Lucifer, proclaiming himself as God. What do we, what do we now have? Think about it. Between these two. What? An opposition. An opposition. We have got a fight. Don't we? And we see where, where Satan was thrown. We see, we see the existence. Why, how do you think he was in the garden? Yeah. Because he was... This this is the place. This is the rock where he was literally cast uh, from heaven. Now, listen. I this is not in this book, okay? Uh, but science has shown uh, a, a tremendous shift uh, in the way that uh, our continents are. Can you imagine? And I'm just, I'm just, my mind goes there. But can you imagine the impact 
of God hurling Satan to the earth? I don't know. I, again, I'm not like, that's Deuteronomy chapter 4. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But I just can imagine that a hurling of a, the anointed cherub in, uh, in, the, in the, the violence that that would have been from heaven to earth would create quite a shake. I mean, this is, this is real. This happened. Satan was cast to the ground and, and the ground, earth, became his domain. But guess what? Whose was it first? Verse 1. It was his. Immediately in verse two, when we read about the, the or sorry, verse three, from that moment on, from the from the moment that Satan is is cast to the ground, God's redemptive work begins. And what? Because it was his. It's all his originally, right? It's all his. And so this whole story, all of this unfolds because what? We're, God is bringing back to Himself all that was His. Why do you think it's so important for him to rescue you from sin? Because you are his. Sin is the result of this man. <laughs> sin is a, is a result of what, of what this started, right? Sin is spoken from his, his lips to Adam and Eve and they, they walk in it, right? But, but we see that the Lord, all through this book, the Lord is bringing back to himself those that are his. That's why scripture says he desires that all men be saved. We're all his. So in all of this, we've got to figure out this one question. And this bothered me, okay? I, I didn't get this. In, this. in this massive fight between God and Satan, and I should not have written them. As this, I do not intend that they are equal. You see this? I'm serious. I didn't write this equal because I believe they're equal. I'm just showing the fight, okay? In this fight, why would God create man? How weak and feeble are we? And if you frame this whole thing in the context of a war, which this is what it is, right? This is a, this is a fight for God to gain back all that is his, right? Now think about this. This is, this is creator God. What could he have done? He could have created, look, he's got, he's got angels, right? He, he created Satan. Why, why would he not then create a being that fits kind of right in here? Not God, but pretty close. And just backhand this man. <laughs> and just destroy him forever. This is what our logic would say is, don't fool with man. <laughs> we are of no use to you. Uh, create something indestructible, right? Create something way better than us, <laughs> right? But imagine the moment in heaven when God showed this thing. When God revealed his plan to win all things back to himself, and he said this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to win this fight by making man in my image. Yeah, okay, so the room gets a little more still, and they're like, okay, ex- explain. He says, I'm going to make him in my image. And we're going to talk more about this next week, okay? So this, this is going to build, but... He's going to make us in our image. How many is God? He is the triune God. What does that mean? He's three, right? What are his three? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Agreed? So if we're in his image, and again, we're going to go into this very specifically next week. If we're in his image, then what are we also? Three. Three things. We are body. 
How many of you know you have a body? Good. <laughs> this is a good thing. This is, our, this is our flesh and blood. This is what you feel when I grab you. Sorry, I didn't pinch. <laughs> I probably should have because of that. But This is what bleeds when, we, when it gets cut. This is, this is body, right? You understand this. We also have a soul. This is a little more interesting. This is one that's more confusing. The acronym is ME. This our mind. And again, remember, I'm going to show you this all next week more. Gosh, I can't spell more closely. But this is our mind and our emotions. How many of you have that? Good. Also good. It's a really important thing in college to have a mind. <laughs> but there's this third element. Now, so far, do plants have a body? Okay. Do animals have a body? Okay. Do humans have a body? Yes. Do plants have a soul? No. Okay, so we're different than the plants at this point. But do, do um, animals have a soul? It's okay. Jump out there. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Mind and emotions? Absolutely. When I scold my dog, she gets really, really sad. Okay? We, we understand this. They have a mind and emotions. Okay? Um, so if we stop here, we have a real issue. Uh, the scientists are correct, and we are nothing but just animals. We know that not to be true. Why? Because we have a third element about us, right? What does Scripture say? No one knows the thoughts of the man, but the spirit of a man. No one knows the thoughts of God, but the spirit of God. God is what? Spirit, right? He says, true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. This right here is an important piece, Right? And again, we're going to go through all of this next week, but this is important because this is our connection with God. This is what puts us in relationship with God. This is what's dead in our sin nature, but this is what, when we accept Christ, becomes alive in us. You've heard the the phrase, maybe since you were like in, uh, whatever it's called, uh, vacation Bible school, that Jesus lives in your heart, right? And it's like, huh, we make it so, so corny. But this is reality because literally God moves in, His Holy Spirit moves in us. He takes up residence in us. This is a huge concept. Imagine what happens now in this whole framework of a fight when God says, yes, I'm going I'm to make man in, our, in, in my image. And yes, the, on the outside, they may look feeble and weak, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put myself in them. The whole game changes. He says, I'm going to deposit all of me. Listen, we get the same Holy Spirit that Jesus got. Which is all of God. I'm going to put all of myself in them. And as they submit to me, this is why I teach this so much. That's why we are, we are in him. We don't do anything for him. We are effective here when we are in him. He put his nature in us that it might be him that lives out of us. Do you see this? 
Because now what we're beginning to see is a concept that's a little different. Because if he'd have created a being right here, it would have been less than the very nature of God. Do you see this? They may have been, it may have been powerful, it may have been good, but it wouldn't have been God. Right? He literally cleans the deck that he might put all of him. Now we have this here. You begin to see Gabriel going, oh, I get it. You begin to see now the moments when, uh, when, they're, when they're going, wait a minute, how are you going to do that? I don't, how, you're holy, you can't be with them. They, they are covered in the filth that you threw him out for. And, and God says, but I got a plan for that too. Because I have this son. And he's perfect. And in him, they can have all of me. Do you see the magnitude here? You see how huge this is. You're, look, look, your purpose has got to refocus. <laughs> this has got to change the scale in which you see yourself, right? You, you have just left this mediocre existence and you all of a sudden are in this, and I, I say global, that's not even right. I, I don't even know how to say it, but you are a warrior in this fight. Now do you know why he hates you so much? Because I just want to tell you right now, if I don't know how much you know it, and I don't want to... He hates you more than you've ever thought about. Because you are the tool in which he will be destroyed. But most of the time, we don't even get that. Why do we not enter into, into spiritual warfare? Go to Ephesians, quick. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, why in the world is he going to tell us this? Be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For our struggle, watch this, our struggle is not where? Against flesh and blood. Quit fighting each other. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What does he say? But our struggle is against what? Rulers, Rulers what? Powers, authorities, what else? Is it, or mind? And the forces of darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness, where? In the heavenly realms. Have you ever read that in this context before? Do you see why he says, let me give you spiritual armor? Because you're fighting a spiritual war. Because your enemy is not one another. Your enemy is not man. You fight like it is. You criticize like it is. But this is not your enemy. Your enemy is the one that has put himself against God Almighty and hates you. And, and, and I'm not going to teach this today. I will teach this at some point. But he says, uh, against rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. What, did he, what does he describe? Rulers, powers, authorities. Guess what? This is a very ordered army. This is a very organized unit. 
This is not one guy with horns and a pitchfork walking around jabbing you, right? Get this. Everything Satan does is an attempt to mock the Lord. Everything that he says is close to truth, but is not truth, which makes it a what? Lie. Do you not think that if the Lord is ordered, that he would model himself very much after this same God? Yeah. This is a very organized, I'm not trying to make you fearful, but I'm saying if we don't get this within context, we, our, our, our existence will be meager. Do you agree? I mean, if, if we don't frame ourselves in the context of what we really are in and, and, and begin to see here that this is a very, very dynamic fight that you've been called into. This is, a, this is no small thing. You have been called to a war that is capturing all things back to God. Now, why do you think then? I hope the scripture is just popping in your mind where you're like, oh, that's, that's why he says that. Why do you think Jesus says uh, your will be done as earth, or on earth as it is in heaven? Why? Because the, 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 whole, the whole game here, the whole, the whole fight is bringing, bringing heaven or bringing earth back in alignment with heaven. You see this? And you have been made to house Almighty God that that might happen out of your mouth. That that might happen when you reach out and touch somebody. That, that literally the power of God that houses you in obedience in Him might come out of your fingertips. This is not hocus pocus. This is the reality of when Jesus puts His eyes on a blind man and He sees. Do you see this? Heaven invades earth. And it's why Jesus can say, hey, look, watch me. You're going to do greater things than I did. Why? Because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Because I'm giving you the thing that I use, which is God himself. I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Do you see this? What? (laughs) Go to Ephesians. uh, Where do we go? We were in six. Go to three. Here it is. Here it is. This is your purpose right here. You ready? I just I hope we've ramped up to this point. Ephesians three, chapter or yeah, three, verse eight. To me, the very least of all saints, this is Paul writing, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Watch this. I just I got I don't even know I can stand up. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, watch this, which for ages has been hidden in God. Who created all things. So he's about to unveil what? The mystery which was, which was held in God, right? You see this. He says, this is it. This is the mystery which was, which was, um, has been hidden in God through ages. It's about to be, about to be to you. So here's the mystery. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church where? To the rulers and the authorities where? Come on. Now, now, how many of you know that this is not talking about the kingdom of heaven? How many of you know that the, that the angels were saying, holy, 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 they have observed the manifold wisdom of God? Do you agree? You understand? 
So he says, so that the manifold wisdom of God in verse 10 might be known through the church of the rulers, uh, or sorry, through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavy, heavenly places. Watch this, verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, watch that, do you see that? You see that? Now that word stands out. Where does it say? In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So how does this whole thing work? First of all, it says that we are, that the mystery of Christ in us has been revealed for what purpose? For, for what purpose? What does it say? So that who? The manifold wisdom of God might be known where? To who? Come on, like you've read it and agree with it. Not, I'm sorry, I'm not, no. What does it say? Say it louder. Who, who do we just say we're not, we're, we're, our fight is against? But more specifically, what do we say? Rulers, authorities, and powers in heavenly places, right? Do you see this? And so that our, our purpose now, when he says, he says the, the, the reason that I, that I enabled you to house the very Spirit of God, the reason that I, that I put my Son in you is for this, so that I, my wisdom might be made known there. So that all things would be called back to me, because they're all mine anyway. Do you see this? We exist... We exist to proclaim, declare, and fight that the wisdom of God might be made known, not just to men, but to rulers, authorities, and powers in heavenly places. We are in a spiritual fight. But we walk and we act. And look, we talk to each other like we're fighting against man. And our faith shows it. Do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? Because what, what do we use this book for? <laughs> Proving our brother wrong. What do, we, what do we use this for? That right there. <laughs> you see this? I mean, it's everywhere. Because we're, we're fighting the wrong fight. But, but look, it, it, it's, it's like I talked about a couple of Sundays ago. When we understand context, we understand more of the story, right? I, I use the example, I said, if, if I just told you a shot was fired, then you've got to ask questions. Why? Because that could either be a good thing or a really, really bad thing. Right? You don't know that until you have context. And you won't act in accordance to that truth until you know context. Because you don't know whether to flip out and run or to go, oh, okay, well, I, I hope that he got a 12-point or what, I don't know, whatever the, he got it? It's a little different if a guy's hunting than if someone's shooting at somebody else. You would act differently, right? Well, here's the deal. We've received the truth of Christ that we, and because we, we say it from when we're small that Jesus lives in us. But we walk it out in a context not of spiritual warfare, but in a context of, of just getting by here. We live in accordance to a different context in which this story is framed. Right? 
if we, if we received that truth in this context, right here, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and authorities of darkness, how does this now change how you view yourself and your purpose? This is not, I'm, I, I refuse to make this time preaching to you. So, what do you think? I mean, how does this, how does this change? What does context do to all of this, to our purpose? What do you think? Yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah, that's good. It's it's very positional. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How pleased is the enemy? How pleased is the enemy when we don't even know that we're fighting him? He has so deceived us to the point where we're not even looking at the right enemy. You know, I, I was uh, I was watching, um, and I don't have TV, so I went out of town um, and spoke at a church in Sundown, and the people I was staying with had TV, and it was like, <laughs> I haven't had a TV in a long time. But um, Anyway, they were watching the NFL Awards show, and they were doing like this, you know, the top plays. And um, there was there was the the number one play was um, they were they were gonna uh, they were acting like they were gonna kneel the ball. It was I think it was the uh, Carolina Panthers, and they were acting like they were gonna kneel the ball. And it was like you remember in the movie Little Giants where they do the fumble ruski? It was like that creative. You know, <laughs> nobody knows Little Giants. Am I that old? I'm not that old. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, they do the fumble roosty. Well, it's kind of the same thing. What guy snaps it to one guy, he puts it under the legs of another guy, he fakes it over here, and then, okay, and then they go score. And the whole defense is just like, there's like three people running after the right guy, and the rest are just kind of standing there, right? Why did that play work? Deception. Nobody knew where to go. That whole thing changes. That whole thing changes if I tell them, look, the quarterback is going to fake it, but he's ending up going to go around the right side. How many people are going to be there on, on, on that notion? Everybody's going to be there, right? Why? Because they know where they're going. They know the purpose. They know, they know what the scheme is, right? But we've been so deceived that we're the guys that are like, and we're the church. We're the ones that have been called into this fight, and we're just kind of like, I don't know. But if we reframe this and understand that the deposit of Christ in us was so that we may become um, partakers in this fight and not just like uh, okay foot soldiers, but we've been, we've been given all of who he is, right? What is, what is uh, I think it's in Matthew, what does he say, uh, what cannot stand against the church? The power of what? The gates of what could not prevail against it? That, li- that literally, the Christ in us, and us walking in him, and I'll teach you that portion of scripture, it's really cool, that we walk, when we walk in Revelation, the gates of hell cannot stand against us. And what, what we've got to just, what I want you to see today is your purpose. And, it's, and what we do, I think a lot of times, how many of you heard, heard this? Our purpose is to glorify God. Why have you heard that? It's in this book. But if you hear that, and you have no context, then you go, okay, well, I just really mean, I'm supposed to sing loud in church. No. 
How do you glorify God? By walking in the purpose which he has established for your life. Which we've just seen. Is to tear down the enemy. To partner with the Lord. To allow the Lord to live in us in such a way that we become partakers in his fight against the enemy to bring all things back to himself. It changes the way that you see people. It has to. It has to change the way that you see people. They're not, they not an objective to put on your, this is how many people got saved list. They are a possession of God that is, that is held captive by the one that hates them. And we have received the deposit of Christ to go in and take that which is rightfully the Lord's back into the kingdom. 